done. Uh, we are nearing the, uh, the big time of the year. Carl's got hockey. I have uh, all sorts of theater and we have a whole panoply of films because it's coming into award season. And our guest, Ron Stevens, always has a lot going on. We'll have Ron Stevens talk about The Fountain and Keep Live Alive Alive, St. Louis, and Beyond Van Gogh for the first part of the show. Then around minute 22, we'll talk Dune. Around minute 39, Mass. Around minute 46, The Harder They Fall. Around minute 49, The Electrical Life of Lewis Wayne. Around minute 51, Becoming Cousteau. Then around minute 55, we'll talk about the Gotham Awards and the return of Slip. How are you today, Ron Stevens? I'm fine, Lynn. Thank you. And thank you, Carl, for having me on today. Absolutely. Well, Carl was dressed as a French chef the other night. I was. So, yes. So for a movie that talk, I'm not going to see, which I saw last night, which and is, is it is uh, just tell me if it was good or not. It's good. It's oh, different. No, it, no, um, no, no. You hedged. You hedged that 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 does not was, make me feel good. Was this in connection with that movie coming out? Yes, the fridge dispatch. I don't know if it's yeah. embargo, what the embargo date was, but it did premiere at two festivals. So the reviews are out there in the panoply of I've used that word twice today in the canon of Wes Anderson movies. It is not better than Grand Budapest Hotel and the Royal Tenenbaum. It's exactly oh. the same as. However, pretty much do the same thing in every movie. Sometimes. Yeah, but this is a little different. This is a little different. However, <laughs> this cast is just, it just made me smile. To it's, an, see. it's an anthology film. It's, it's several right. stories rather than just one story. Right. It just made me, it made me grin from ear to ear to see all the little quirky Wes Anderson affectations. Uh, of the way he frames everything and oh, all his little twee precious things that he does and the cast is just so awesome but we will get into that next week when we review it but today but the reason I brought up that Carl was being French chefy is because we're going to talk to Ron about food because his his amazing and I use that word very infrequently so his amazing wife, Joy, is on to her next chapter because they have sold the Fountain on Locust. That is cool. Well, not they, she, actually. It is. It, <laughs> it's it was her Joy's baby. Son, and I was just uh, her most annoying customer all these years. Uh, yes. Well, we, we had many a delightful meal there. And I just went there, uh, I believe, two weeks ago and uh, had their famous, their their grilled cheese was deemed the best in all of Missouri. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, second that. And they have the most delicious soups and sandwiches. And I had the Anina, named after your daughter. Twist. Oh, the sweet Anina. The sweet Anina. Yes. Only mm -hmm. they were out of lemon sherbet. But so I used their seasonal flavor lemon cheesecake. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I, you know, I find it interesting that the Fountain on Locust over uh, its 14 years has won several food awards and distinctions like, you know, best, um, uh, you said grilled cheese sandwich in the state of Missouri, uh, but they've also won best restroom in America. Well, the combination of the two seems a little odd, but uh, it's nice, you know, if you're going to have great food, you better have a great restaurant. Joy's always believed that people judge a restaurant as much by the food, uh, by the restroom as they do by the food. You know, if you have a dirty restroom and a kind of icky restroom, that reflects on, on the restaurant in many ways. So that was important to her. But the real exciting thing about Joy selling the restaurant, I mean, for me, of course, is now I get more time with Joy, uh, which costs me a lot of work. But <laughs> the, uh, the real exciting thing about it is who purchased it. It was purchased by Danny and Marcus Eichenhorst. Uh, they are both solid, loyal, avid uh, cheerleaders of St. Louis. They live in St. Louis uh, and have for many years. They are also known for uh, buying into, I think they own about 50% of Steve's hot dogs. When Steve Ewing was going 
uh, under. Uh, Danny said, what? You can't close this. And she said, let me look at the books and look at the menu and look at it all. And she did and made some suggestions and, and put her money where her mouth is and bought into it. And now Steve's Hot Dogs is in a, a, a new location on South Grand. Grand. Yeah, new, South Grand. Grand. Right, and a bigger location, and they're doing extremely well. And uh, when Joy was interested in executing her exit strategy for her the, moving to the next phase of her life, um, I suggested she call Danny Eichenhorst because I saw what she did there, and I saw see her tweets and see how involved she is with the city of Saint, the community of Saint Louis. And so Joy did, and we uh, the four of us went to dinner and became friends. And uh, uh, Ike is an accountant. And uh, he said, well, I, I will look at uh, your offer and, uh, and advise Danny. And he looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, I'll quit my job to do this. And he did. So he's running. Ike is actually running it now. Ike is Marcus. He goes by the name of Ike. So but it, you were it, the funny thing was you were looking for a new GM anyway. And now he's the GM. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Uh, yeah, we were uh, Barb, who had been the general manager. Barb Scholes had been the general manager of the Fondle on Locust most of those 14 years. And she was planning to retire at the same time. And she and Joy are very close. So they planned this out. You retire, I'll sell, and we'll all live happily ever after. And uh, I, we all love a happily ever after story. And uh, at this point, that's what it looks like. Well, did Joy hand over her famous dill pickle and potato soup? <laughs> yes, they, they, you know that, that, that recipe is not a secret. You know, you can actually, uh, I think it was Channel 5 or, or no, it might have been the Post-Dispatch. They do a thing where people write in and say, how do you make whatever at different restaurants? And they showed up with the camera crew and they taped, they videoed, uh, videoed the entire segment of Barb Scholes making the pickle soup, which is a, it's a labor intensive job to make that soup. So it was a, a long video, but. Oh, I bet. It. And yeah. then uh, Joy was very adamant about fresh ingredients yeah. and her a hot fudge sauce, best of all St. Louis, because it had no high fructose corn syrup. Correct. And, you will not and, find high fructose corn syrup in anything in that restaurant. And so, and then also people that uh, have celiac disease could eat off the gluten-free menu and it was really gluten-free. It wasn't a, sometimes they say gluten-free at restaurants and it really isn't because my friend who has that would say, um, well, yeah, they can say that, but then I'll have a stomach ache for three days after I eat. Right. Well, so, I think uh, a lot of yeah. yeah, a lot of restaurants don't understand what gluten-free means. It doesn't mean just don't put wheat in your product. It means cook it in a different stove uh, or a different oven uh, be because you can't have it anywhere near where gluten might uh, be have been in the same pan. Someone who suffers from celiac really gets that and, and checks into it with uh, a restaurant's kitchen before they order. People who are just trying to stay gluten-free are usually fine with restaurants that don't get it, you know? Right, so that was really great. Well, then you are very heavily involved in Keep uh, uh, keep Live Alive St. Louis. It's Keep Live Alive St. Louis, or SPL. is that the correct title? No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let you, I'm just gonna let you hang and, and try to get through it. But you did it, you did it right. It is Keep Live Alive St. Louis. I don't know what it is about that title that people have problems with, but it's Keep Live Alive St. Louis. Well, and I like the title. I just got to know that it's, you put the local in there and oh, it is yeah. very, it is very local. And this has been going on for a while, but you've got some really exciting right. news. We're on to keep, we wanted you to talk about. We're on to keep live alive alive now, you <laughs> know, and that we're keeping live alive St. Louis alive. alive, but actually it wasn't our decision. It was the public's decision. Money continues to roll in. Even though we went through the entire beginning to end of creating a program, uh, raising funds and distributing those funds, money continues to come in. And there are some very generous organizations out there right now. It is Beyond Van Gogh, which as you know, comes from out of town, but it does have a local promoter, Steve Litton Presents. And St. Louis is doing better 
than every city in America except one. There's one city that comes a little bit, does a little bit better, and that's Milwaukee, interestingly. But uh, it's touring the country, and uh, Steve Libman presents a very, uh, very professional organization, uh, very tight with the community. As you know, they do concerts at the Fox, they do concerts at River City Casino, at the Sheldon, and uh, they took on this project with uh, Beyond Van Gogh, and they partnered with us in it. And so we are benefiting. We are a beneficiary of Beyond Van Gogh. And we're, oh. so, we're so proud to say that in most cities, you know, it, it runs for a couple of months. They just extended it here to January 2nd. Because I know. So it will be, it's a layover through, through the holidays. So you'll be able to go through Thanksgiving or Christmas. If you've even seen it and you have people coming in from out of town, you can take them and see it again. I trust you two have seen it. If yes. you haven't, you need Yes, to. we yeah. have. In fact, yeah. I have a review up at, at uh, poplifestl.com if anybody wants to know what I think. And uh, we are really excited because it was going to end on November 21st. So that was going to be before the holidays, like you said, but now January 2nd. So we got family in town. Uh, that will be awesome. My friend who went with me said she wants to see it again. So I think that there's going to be repeats because I think it is at first an overwhelming experience and you get used to it, but then, uh, then you think maybe I missed something. So I'll go back. Yeah. Well, yeah, the first, the, even, even the, uh, what they call the waterfall room, that is your first little taste of what's going to happen in the main room. That's a five minute show right there. And most yeah. people just walk right through because there are so many people there that they feel that they want to get to the big room because that's what they've seen in the promos. And they said, oh, I need to get to that. And that is very much a self-immersive hour-long time that you need to spend watching. And every time you go there, it depends on which wall and what you're looking at, you're going to see something different. Also, they, were, they first started telling people, don't, please don't sit on the floor. Uh, sit on a bench, but I understand now that uh, that has gone out the window and everyone is just <laughs> sitting and watching and doing whatever they want in those rooms. What's which nice is great. That, that big room, the main room, is very large. And as Carl pointed out, you know, there are four walls, but there are also columns and you can walk around in there. And that what they what they're doing is they're doing time to visit. So when you go on to buy your tickets, you pick a time that you're going. That way they space it out and there's never a time where that room is crowded. You might feel like when you're walking through that you, you know there's a, more people than you want, but once you get to the big room, the main room, you will stay in there for an hour without seeing the same thing twice. Right. You are totally immersed in Van Gogh and his works and it's just incredible. And, and people, that, that, people that I wouldn't think like this and I'm not picking on him because <laughs> he he put it on his Instagram that he went. John Hewlett went, I believe, at the at the suggestion of Mrs. Hewlett. But John Hewlett went and he loved it. And this is this is not Johnny's forte. This, the, yeah. you know, well, you know, you don't have to like Van Gogh to like it. That's, no, that's no. that's one thing that's important. You gain a new appreciation for him. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I've been an art lover since I was a a teenager and studied art in college and. And I've been to some of the big museums, but not the Louvre like Carl has. I've However, been many times. I've seen some, you know, real Van Goghs, but I had a new appreciation because you see the brush strokes and how many different colors. I did not realize how many different shades of blue were in Starry Night. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I missed that, but I did. And then also the story about him of how nature was such a big part of his life because he was such a troubled personality. And now they think, you know, he had bipolar and borderline personality disorder. But back in his day, nobody knew that jazz, but how nature came to be so important to him. And I was like, well, duh, how did I miss that? <laughs> well, there was a lot to learn there. That, that, that's what I liked about the setup. What, you know, the first... 10, 15 minutes you're in there, depending on how fast you go, you're learning all of that. You know, that you're, you're, I would recommend you read every single wall and everything yep. in there. It's, it's wall letters, letters to and from his brother. Yeah. Which are very illuminating. 
and he had failed at so many things. He didn't start painting as an artist till he was 28 years old. That's amazing. Yeah. It, and, and, and you get the feeling like, well, okay, I'll try this. All right, that didn't work. So I'll try this. I'll try that, you know? Oh, he wanted to be a priest. Oh, well, yeah, that, that didn't, obviously that, that didn't work out. Didn't it work. was yeah. his brother's wife who's the one who got his art to the world. Who, after he died, his art was, you know, he was prolific once he started yeah. painting. And she's the one that got it into the uh, local museum and the rest, as we say, is well, history. I, I will I will beckon back to Marshall McLuhan on, on this as a recommendation to see it, because in this case, the medium is the message. The uh, Again, you don't have to like Van Gogh or his work. You are immersed in something and you are immersed in this technology that isn't really apparent. You really feel like you're in a, in a, a different world, in an arts, artist's world. And you could probably take any artist and do this. I think it was smart to start with Van Gogh because of his strokes and how, how he painted. But uh, you will see beyond Monet. I can almost be sure of that. Right, or you know. beyond Da Vinci. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, and then his whole thing about uh, his, his uh, relationship with Paul Gauguin. I mean, I didn't even know any of that. So it's very illuminating, but just to be in that room is so uh, awe, it's, you're awestruck. It's well, breathtaking. Think, that, think of and, Laserium from the seventies. Well, I, 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 I like acid. to say people that have gone to Disney World recently and have seen that the, the projections that are on the castle and now they've done it at all four parks. So they have projections on Spaceship Earth at Epcot, they have projections on the Tower of Terror at Hollywood Studios, and they have projections even on the Tree of Life at Animal Kingdom. But people have seen the projections on the Magic on Cinderella's Castle at Magic Kingdom. This is that, but you are in the middle of it. It is yeah. it's it that's the best way I could describe it. Right. I mean, if you go if you go to Union Station and see that thing on the ceiling, yes. this so far beyond that. That's that's now cute. Yes. You know. This that's not the real thing anymore, but uh, that's and that's awesome. As we know, oh, that's that's yeah. amazing. I I yeah. took the people on my one one of my birthdays. We were up there after the Polar Express, and they had never been there before in the Great Hall, and they were just mesmerized by it. And so there's all sorts of treasures in St. Louis, but that tent is not really what you think of a tent, and no. it, it's it's just amazing. But then the whole music. The immerse, oh, the that, whole uh, part exactly. is very cinematic. It's very symphonic. And then all of a sudden you hear Paul Simon and you're like, what? And you and hear, it, and you hear Vincent by, you, you hear a version of Vincent by Don McLean. Well, they had to do that. Well, yeah, but yeah. You, you're like, why are they playing America by, by yeah, Paul Simon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that but no it's re it's really interesting so what you need to do is you need to book it and then you need to go to the fountain on locust and have uh, a lunch dinner or dessert yeah, there you go well here's here is our connection with that yeah. they uh, uh be because funds continue to roll in and, and now we have uh funds coming in from beyond van gogh our intention was to set up, and we will eventually, a scholarship fund because we're refocusing Keep Live Alive to creating an awareness of the needs for the, the uh, live entertainment industry in St. Louis at various times. As we went through COVID, the need, of course, was to help families who worked in live entertainment that were not getting income at that point, and it was very successful. But now, in, in, in refocusing, we realized live entertainment and, and that could be the actual performers and musicians, uh, the person who, who works lights uh, or books the room. There's so many levels of live entertainment. Uh, it, it does start at the uh, school level and, uh, you know, elementary level is in high school. Right now we're focusing on high school. We want to benefit high schools. We, as we all know, always need help with, uh, funding their various art programs, uh, the, uh, their bands, uh, their theater, um, their, their, their arts and their performance arts. And, and you know, there's a lot of art uh, at, in high school that seems to be slowly disappearing along with Jim. And, uh, and I mean, J-G-Y-M, Jim. Uh, and, and we don't want that to happen. You know, the, 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 
if if Paul McCartney and John Lennon did not have their early training and what they did, we wouldn't have a lot of music we have today. And we don't want that to happen. So that's where we're focusing right now. And, and Beyond Van Gogh has created an opportunity for us. Right now, we're testing the waters uh, because, we're, we're, as you know, we're new at this. Uh, even though we've just gone through a year of uh, Keep Live Alive, we've learned a lot from that, but now we're learning more. And so we created this $5,000 grant that will go to some area, uh, regional, St. Louis Regional High School. It's for teachers to apply for this. And this includes the St. Louis metropolitan area, uh, St. Louis City County, Franklin County, Jefferson, St. Charles, and Warren counties. In Illinois, it's Calhoun, Green, Jersey County, Madison County, Monroe, and St. Clair counties. All of those counties have private and public schools, high schools. They're all eligible. Any teacher can go to keeplivealivestl.org and the application is right there. You fill it out right online. It will require a thousand word or less or up to a thousand word essay on what the project that you have that you need funded and how this $5,000 can help fund it. It's very simple. Go do that and you're helping us learn. And then we hope that next year we'll have an even greater fund. Well, that's wonderful because it is true. So many arts programs get cut at schools nowadays. And so yeah. that's that's just a, a really great thing to focus on that. John Lennon to go to art school, as you know. Yeah, yeah. And so well, did Mick Jagger. And thank you both for helping me spread the word on this. So uh, if you think of it at the end of the show, mention keepalivealivestl.org and hopefully people and teachers. If you're a student, tell your teachers about it. Oh yeah, write write something for your school. I mean, the yes. teacher can submit it, but you can have the class each yes, new. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. Fine. One of my one of my good friends is a uh, guidance counselor, and I'm sending it to her right away after we get done today. Great, thank you, and thank you both. Sure. Thanks, Ron. Good to see thank you. Thank you. Yeah, have a great weekend, and we look forward to seeing you at SLIF. Oh, yes. Oh, man. I, now, I'm, Ron, before you go, I want to ask you, did you ever see or read any of the Dune books? No, no. And you never saw the, the only rock and roll uh, connection to Dune would be that Sting was in the David Lynch flop from 1983, 84. OK. And, and that's all. And that's all. David Lynch does not even admit that he made a movie called Dune in 19. <laughs> Wise move. <laughs> All right, Ron. Good to see you. Thank you. Bye bye. So, Lynn, Hi. let's talk about let's talk about Dune. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, we both saw it at uh, the Esquire. On oh, a huge... you mentioned you mentioned where we saw it, because if you listen to my you meant if you listen to my review with Max on movies on the Max on movies podcast, I said the place we saw it and I refused to mention its name because the sound was so horrible. Well, I do know you have issues with that auditorium, uh, but it, it is a huge screen. However, last night I watched it on HBO uh, just to see what it was like on the small screen, because even Stephen Colbert is urging everybody to see it on the big screen. He's a huge Dune fan. And he had the director on uh, two weeks ago, and then he had Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya on. Yes, or Zendaya? Whatever. I thought it was Zendaya, but then I heard them say Zendaya last night. So here we go. Anyway, I, I always um, said I've always said Zendaya. I knew her, her when she was a Disney Channel star, not uh -huh. when she was on Euphoria or any of that. I knew her when she was on uh, Shake It Up with Bella Thorne on the Disney Channel. Aha, uh -huh. well, the screen loves both of them in this. Zendaya, Zendaya and also Timothy Chalamet. I will say that the camera loves them. Now, uh, Colbert, being the big fan, said this is a fantastic adaptation. He just thought it was wonderful. And he said, see it on the biggest screen possible. No. So I will say that watching it again, for me, I caught more things. I caught more dialogue because, as you know, they tend to whisper sometimes in the Did shadows. Did you turn on the closed captioning for your assistance? 
Uh, no, I did not. I suggested that people do that. If you don't, well, also the problem with seeing it on HBO Max is you can rewind it. If you if you found some, if you didn't understand something that happened, you can go back 15 seconds and get that. You're not going to get that in the big theater. And this is a movie that you have to pay attention to. Oh, yes. And it is two hours and 35 minutes, and it's only part one. They yeah. cannot say uh, whether there's a part two. They're like, um, they were both told, keep these dates open, maybe. Well, here, okay, so what they were told by... Warner Brothers is that if it performs well on HBO Max, not not if it performs well in theaters, if it performs well on HBO Max, then there will be a second. There will there will be the follow up, which I believe is setting the bar very low. So I think that there will be a second one. And Dennis, Van you've said that he has an idea for a third one, which is uh, the, another book, Dune's Messiah would round out a trilogy if they were all willing to do a trilogy. Right. Well, Frank Herbert, the author of the 1965 cult classic that is now the best-selling sci-fi novel of all time, uh, he wrote five sequels. And then after his death, his children and others have carried on that legacy. So there's a wealth of material. Yes. Now, Kevin, this Kevin per- J. Anderson is one of those. And I only know Kevin J. Anderson because he wrote a whole bunch of Star Wars novels that I read. And then Disney came along and said, everything that you read and wasted your time on means nothing. So yeah, this, this, the Star well, Wars it, it, literary it, thing is Star Wars Legends. Well, it does have some, as as a newbie to Dune, I did see the 1984 movie, but I did not know what was going on. And therefore, that I will say this cast does a, does a because they're so strong of performers, they do as best they can to make this story lucid. I do think it's an unwieldy story. This is only part one, so we have a very long hero's journey the paul adre adreas or adreides that's his last name adreides the house it's one of the political dynasties he is not yet ready to assume the mantle uh but he's forced upon it and he has to adapt very quickly his father is played by oscar isaac who's always good rebecca ferguson this is a a difficult part, I think. Uh, the mom is the teacher to the son, Timothy Chalamet. She she's not the wife. She's the concubine. She's not. Yeah, which, but, but 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 she but, has but that, the last name because she's Lady Jessica Adrades. But see, uh, what I found out is that will make more sense in the next movie that she was not the wife because you can have a concubine and a wife, which will be something for Paul in part two okay well uh she has the same last name okay so um what i was reminded of last night was they're on the planet kaladin i thought the planets were named for the for the dynasty but no they have different names so the harkonies that are the villains exemplified by stellar skarsgård and dave batista whose character is named the beast yeah by the way um they fight and then on the Adreides side they have Jason Momoa who's fabulous he brings so much oomph as a loyal warrior and Josh Brolin is fine but I don't think he's in it very much and that's That's because he's in the next one well we have this sprawling cast so you have to keep everybody straight and I was a little confused by Javier Bardem's character. He's the leader of a tribe on the desert planet, Iraqis. This movie centers on a desert planet. So you're going to get a lot of sand, a lot of wind. We have sandworms. We have uh, nothing but sand. And they talked last night that because of the heat they filmed in Jordan, because of the heat they could only film between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. because of the heat. 
Right. And the, the characters are in costumes that are supposed to be cooling to them because it is the year 10,191. Yeah, they're, so, they're more than 8,000 ahead of us. So you'd think technology's kind of broadened there. But uh, uh, no, the, no, <laughs> the, the, the machines rose up here. I learned this later. The machines rose up. That's why there aren't any androids there. And people, people are do the work of machines. They they had a rise of the machines thing and there was a robot revolution. That's why you don't see any robots anywhere. It's all people. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, so I mean, that I remember when Ozzy Osbourne saw the Phantom Menace for the first time and he said, I thought this is supposed to take place before it. How come everything looks so modern? This is takes place eight thousands in the eight thousand years from now. And it looks like it's either modern day or in the past. So that that is why. And everyone's making comparisons to a lot of movies. But just remember, Dune was first. <laughs> Dune came out in 1965. So, oh, that planet looks like Tatooine. Oh, this is the Luke Skywalker journey. No, 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 no. Dune was first. Lucas stole a lot from Dune. Well, it looks like it because it does have similarities with the Star Wars universe and also Game of Thrones. I don't know why the future has to look medieval, but uh, the costumes... And the whole color palette are the grays and tans and shades of black. We have slate and pewter and all that jazz. So it's a very boring palette. I will say the cinematographer, Greg Frazier, who, who won an Emmy for The Mandalorian Yay. and who shot Rogue One, a Star it, Wars it, it story. Does, it does seem very Mandalorian-like. Well, he is a genius. He is a master. He knows how to uh, do the expansive landscapes, which are stunning. I will say this is a visually stunning film. Denis Villeneuve, whose only Oscar nomination is Arrival. And it has that look too, the way he frames things. Yeah. But also he did Blade Runner uh, 2049. Yeah, but this, so, is, this, this movie is more Arrival than Blade Runner. Right, right. But he has that eye for how he sets it up. Uh, and uh, we have, so technically it's a marvel. It's beautiful. And it's, it's beautiful to look at. It's too long. They And there's a lot of dream sequences that don't make any sense. At least they don't make any sense in part one. If you took out any dream sequence that was not, um, I, I don't want to say substantial or, plot driven just random dream sequences that we find out later are false this movie could be a nice tight 210 yeah it is long well we have a lot of shots of timothy chalamet contemplating and he's standing in the wind and he's standing in sandy uh windy conditions and so there's a lot of that so yeah. we don't really, that drives me nuts in movies when we're, and usually a lot of times they're smoking, but in this one, we don't have any cigarettes. So no, but, but you have the, the, because the spice is in the sand it, you know, this movie's all about spice. It's, it's right. like water, we, water in Chinatown. Well, we have to explain though. It's not spice like cinnamon or nutmeg. It is spice as a drug. Because well, no, it, 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 yeah, it enhances mental acuity. And then for others, it helps with space navigation. Yes, it's it, the most prized resource in this. This is a galaxy far, far away. We have to remember this. We have interstellar action. We move from planet to planet. Iraqis is the desert wasteland. And the House of Adrades has been given it by the evil empire, Emperor Baron Harkness. And he's played very Jabba the Hutt-like by Stellan Skarsgård. Well, it's, it, pretty, it's a grotesque person. Herbert was thinking of uh, Middle East appropriations and how India was taken by the British. So there's a lot of that stuff going on and how the how there were colonization was one of the things that Frank Herbert was writing about in Dune. And you can see that. And because because when people say, well, 
this they're this is very Middle Eastern, and they it, these people are these white people are just coming in. Yes, that was what Frank Herbert was writing about with Dune. So, I'm hearing this movie get attacked for the wrong reasons. There, I mean, this movie we've only seen half of the movie. This is this is like Kill Bill Volume One. Bill's right. Bill's barely in it. And well, it's so, it's like a very extended prologue. That's what it is. Well, also, we, and, and I mentioned with Ron that Sting was in this. We haven't even met the Sting character yet. The, the character that Sting played in Dune with David Lynch, that character hasn't even been introduced. That's that's Sar, Scar's, Scar's nephew. And that has that character has not been introduced in part one. So it's weird. Well, we have uh, we lead up and at the end, Zendaya says to uh, Chalamet, you're just getting started. So that's how we end. And I'm not telling anything out of school because they do say part one. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, there's a two year time jump. There'll be a two year time jump between part one and part two. And so we're not going to get to see any of the training. We're just going to see Paul be the kick ass uh messiah that he is going to be overall everybody the reviews that i've seen uh yesterday are all raving about the technology but they're uh talking about the storytelling is a tad lacking and i would agree with that i agree that we don't have very much character development but do we get that in these things and and to me the true test are the book fans they're going to tell me whether they like it or not because right. they're so entrenched in this story. Now, the book fans like the sci-fi uh, miniseries because that was very, very much based on the book. And so which the sci-fi channel ran in 2000. Right now, uh, the the first attempt to film this in the 70s by Jodorowsky or how is that his name? Um, there's that a whole, a, that's a very funny documentary about that right because it failed the budget ballooned and the studio dropped it after three years but he tried and then along came david lynch and everybody thought oh lynch with his out there persona can do this but he couldn't you know if david lynch would not have done dune he would have probably done the return of the jedi wow because lucas lucas wanted him and he's like well i'm gonna do this other it didn't work out and so he wound up doing Dune. So we could have had David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. Well, I do say at year-end awards, I think this is going to be the front runner in the technology, although we haven't seen Matrix. Yeah. What's it called? What's the sequel called? The fourth part? Revolutions? No. Resurrection. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Because I knew Re- Revolutions was the previous one wasn't it yeah, okay it so matter. we haven't seen that yet and that looks pretty out there and then uh so that but as far as technology goes this is going to be in the mix for the technology awards i think i uh, would uh, expect the cinematographer probably hans zimmer that score is pretty yeah. foreboding and august and and very hans zimmer like but it also has some interesting <laughs> Uh, Mid-Eastern touches, like you mentioned. Yeah, well, it's a whole panoply of, and that's the third time I'm using that word. This, uh-huh. It's relig- religion, politics, environment. What else? Everything. It's it's a lot of movie. It is a lot of movie. You're right. So, so uh, Lynn, you're going to have to take, we have 15 more minutes I've seen nothing else this week. I didn't well, see mass. I didn't see the harder they fall. I was curious about the electrical life of Lewis Wayne did not see it. And I have a link to becoming Cousteau. It is at several local theaters today. And their um, national I, geographic I, is giving tickets away to it. Yeah, but it's limited. Okay. And it's only at runs. So what, what did you, what did, what, of the four films that I saw, what'd you see? Um, I saw, um, I actually saw five films this week Wow! Uh, for this week. Yeah. Okay. So mass is an acting tour de force. Really? It is emotionally draining. The last half hour is one big howl of pain and tears. And I will set this up 
because you're going to hear the about these people when everybody's putting in their uh, acting nominations and for ensemble. I would think it's going to score really high with ensemble. It is the story by first-time writer-director Fran Kranz. It was a huge hit at Sundance. And it concerns, I, for somebody that's in their four, early 40s and he's known as an actor, to me, it's remarkable his insight about loss and tragedy. It is based on a story we're all too familiar with from the headlines. A school shooting has taken place. One set of parents... Um, are the shooter's parents. Mm. The other set of parents are one of the victim's parents. The uh, troubled, unstable, bullied, socially awkward, depressed kid that shot 10 students and killed them. He then took the gun on himself in the library and killed himself. So these two sets of parents, this is six years later, they meet in a church meeting room and uh it's oh it's so awkward at first they have talked before they have talked through their attorneys they have their life has been destroyed six years ago one weekday was destroyed and they have tried to cope and move on they both have other children each has another child so they each have one surviving kid and one set the the shooter's parents no longer live together mm. and everybody's moved away from the town where it happened so you would think that so it's six years later uh, uh this is so emotionally intense it's it's a hard watch it's just going to be like what you think of marriage story and what i thought of the reveal scene in manchester by the sea you don't ever want to see that again no you, you can't you can't it's just too much but this will stay with you the acting is so intense and it's just a conversation now they yes, are there this, this seems very play like to me it is that's why i'm surprised now this fran Kranz. He was on Broadway in the heralded revival of Death of a Salesman. Yes, he he was he's a Joss Whedon guy. He was on Dow House and he was in Cabins of the Woods and he was in Much Ado About Nothing. So he's a Joss Whedon acolyte. So he maybe this, maybe not anymore. But I'm I'm really amazed he got this cast. And also he shot it in 14 days at a at in Idaho at this Episcopal church. And the reason he shot it in Idaho was he knew a friend who could get him deals because it is such a low budget on that. And so they set it in a small town in Idaho, which I thought was kind of perfect. There's some religious symbolism, which you can take or, or, uh, for, what it's, for what it's worth. But uh, the one couple, the, the parents of the shooter are Reed Burney, who won the Tony for the humans, and Ann Dowd, Emmy winner for The Handmaid's Tale, who makes everything uh, project she's involved in better. And she, you just want to hug this woman. She has so much guilt, so um, much uh, wrestling. Like, did she, what did she miss? What did she do? Did they, what did they do wrong? Why was their son like this? Their son's name is Hayden. The, the other parents are Jason, Isaac, and I, Isaac. And, and Jason uh, Isaacs from the, Mar Mar from Lucius Malfoy from the Harry Potter. Right. And, and he's in a whole bunch. Of, he's like a voiceover a lot for, uh, for animated. Uh, but is he, is he using his real voice or is he American? He's American. Okay. He's American. He's the dad. He's trying to be practical. Both dads are trying to be practical. Both wives are very, Martha Plimpton is Gail and she's the mom of Evan who was killed and she wears her anger and resentment. Like it's a cloak. She can't let that go. However, through the course of the movie, at the end, you do see a glimmer of healing, of maybe some hope. So it's not all totally dark, but it is, uh, it, it raises interesting questions because, and they do talk about all the things that, you know, every time we have a mass shooting, what do people bring up? Guns are too easy to get. What's with the parenting? Uh, uh, they play too many violent, video games 
et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff is always brought up. Uh, we know these shootings by the town they're in, Sandy Hook, Columbine, Parkland. Supposedly, he took a lot of information from Parkland. And one of the parents of the, of the Columbine shooters, she had talked about how she loved her son. She wants to grieve for her son. But society doesn't really let her because he can he committed that monstrosity and so the both parents they talk about loving their sons and that loss like uh, the the parents of the shoot of the victims all were be all became a tight community and uh you know the community helped them uh comforted them and everything but the parents of the shooter were ostracized and alone they had to have an unpublicized private funeral. They had to, uh, uh, their life's just been, I mean, everybody's life was destroyed that day. But it's interesting to see the perspectives and see how they dealt with it and see the different things they bring up. But it's 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 a hard watch, but it's just so good with the acting. Both well, Kent and I gave it an A. Well, as you might have heard Lynn's phone dinging, our buddy Dan Buffa, while we're talking about this, sent us a thing and said it is one of his favorite movies of the year so far. So that's mass, as in mass shooting. Right. All so right. I, I saw The Harder They Fall, and I'll just make this brief. Mm -hmm. It's by James Samuel, who's a protege of Jay-Z. It's a neo-Western with a fantastic cast. It is very bloody and it's shot like a music video, but this James Samuel is known as the bullets in the hip hop community. <laughs> and uh, it is, is shot, but it's got Idris Elba and Jonathan Majors as rival gang leaders. This is a tale of revenge and robbery. My beef with the movie is it's just a run of the mill standard story that does nothing. We have repetitive shootouts. We have very bloody showdowns. It just for as stylistic as it is, it's very stylish. And this, and this is on women, Netflix, right? This is on Netflix. Uh, right? Well, it's in theaters today, uh, October 22nd, but it begins on Netflix November 3rd. Oh, wow. And it a, has a two week window. Yeah, it has Regina King and Zazie Beetz, and it has. Ooh, I like Zazie Beetz. I know, and it has Lakeith Stanfield, and it has Delroy Lindo. So we got a wow. great cast. It's Regina just there. Wow, this is really and oh, Dion Cole. I like Dion Cole too. Yes, I thought he was fine, and R.J. Siler's good. Um, it's it's just there's just it's it's a lot? just uh no, it's not enough. It's oh, wow. Just, it's, it's more it's, than two hours and it's not enough. Well, I mean, in terms of the story, you're going to get like very stylish, uh, uh, you know, scenes, but there's no substance. And it's based it, on a true story. Yeah. Well, it's what what thing it does well is uh, the stories about black cowboys have been hidden and uh, we haven't seen uh you know too much of that and so they're giving so supposedly in the wild west we had one of every four uh cowboys were black and they've been given short you, you never have heard that before until right now and so that's what's interesting about it but i will say i wanted to like it so much but okay. you know it's just it it falters it you're falters. not are you, but are can you say that you are not the target audience for it well yeah yeah, I can say that. And then also we're moving on to the electrical life of Lewis Wayne. And this yes. is a peculiar film about a peculiar man. He drew Lu cats. Yes, he elevated the cats because at the time, uh, the story starts in 1880. And at the time, cats were not beloved pets in the uh, UK. And he did that. And towards the end of his life, I mean, he was mentally uh, mentally ill. Yes. But at the end, we're seeing pictures of psychedelic cats. So you feel like you're tripping. But it's all about how he elevated the cats, how uh, today the way we think about cats is basically 
because of this guy, Louis Wayne. He had a very tragic life. His uh, beautiful, wonderful wife is played by Claire Foy, who is always so good. And he is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. And uh, his sister, he has, his sister is in, in this movie, too. Louis Wayne's yeah. sister. Yeah. Right. Well, those and, sisters Andrew, are Andrew, off. Are Andrew off. Weisenberg? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, back then, the man of the family had to take over and support them. So he's got these five sisters who can't land husbands back oh, wow. in the day because, you know, that's what, what they were supposed to do. So they could just get so he has to support his whole family. And and they're just like, you're just drawing pictures of cats. What's wrong with you? And so it's a whole battle of that i will say the look of the film is fabulous they uh some of it looks like a painting he was an illustrator and he also uh, did a lot of books and he was in he was institutionalized and so this is his story and he had a fascination with electricity which is why it's called electrical life to me those connections are kind of a stretch but uh, we are in Victorian England and different things. But if you have a house pet that's a cat, if you love cats, if you go watch cat videos on YouTube and those cat film festivals, one's coming up at Plaza Frontenac, Ugh. it's because of Lewis Wayne. Yeah, well, I got my car stolen at Cat Videos Live at the pageant, so I do not have a love for cat videos anymore. I might have at one time, but not anymore. Uh, Becoming a, Cousteau is on. Is that going to be on uh, Disney Plus with uh, with National Geographic since it's a ja National Geographic film? Well, I would eventually think that. But right now it's in theaters because they're really promoting it for award season. Um, this is a biography of the famous oceanographer Jacques Cousteau. Yes. And in the 70s, he was a household name. I don't know how much of that still exists, but he was one of the pioneers in the construction conservation uh, movement in the environmental movement and he lived his life his first wife said he smelled like the sea he was in the french navy he became fascinated by the underwater this is a loving tribute to him although he does admit on screen that he was a terrible father and terrible husband his wife of 53 years this is the biggest revelation to me his wife of 53 years dies of cancer and six months later he married again to a woman he already had two children with. Oh, okay. Okay, Jacques, what's the deal there? Well, he's really, French, you know. I know, they don't really go into it, and I'll tell you why. The right. two younger kids are co-producers of the uh -huh. film. Aha, that's how they got some of the footage, I'm sure. Because he, so, died, he died in 1997. Yeah, he was 87. He died of a heart attack. Uh, one of the biggest tragedies of his life was his beloved son, Philippe, died at uh, age 38 uh, in a plane crash. Hmm. And so he went to work. He was a he's super alcoholic, uh, not alcoholic, workaholic. Okay. Um, he just worked, worked, worked. So after his son died, he went even full, you know, steam ahead. Uh, the other son sued the second wife about all this stuff so it's very complicated but uh liz garbus who has been oscar nominated and won an emmy for that nina simone documentary yeah uh she did this it's your standard biopic uses a lot of archival footage they've cleaned up a lot of it if you aren't familiar with him it's it's fascinating you learn an appreciation if you are familiar with him from his, he had a show on ABC, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau, and then he went to PBS, and then he started getting, I think, a little bit more. ABC canceled him because he started bringing up the fate of mankind, <laughs> and so well, they were like, about, oh. He was probably about uh, climate change and all that stuff way back right. when. Right. right. And they were like, no, we're not going to go there. And so that but he wrote more than 50 books and he has more than 120 television documentaries. Well, we were talking about we were talking about Wes Anderson earlier and the Life Aquatic is basically a big parody of Jacques Cousteau. 
Right. Jacques Cousteau, you see the red knit cap that was his trademark, and he is on the Calypso. And the, the, the crew of the Calypso, they are a hoot because they're this ragtag bunch of guys, and they're on this old minesweeper. And John Denver even had a hit back in 1975 called the Calypso. Well, you're, you are a Rotten Tomatoes reviewer. And this yeah. movie is at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I know. Well, I got to post my review and I only gave it a B. Oh, okay. So we'll oh. see. Well, that's still fresh. Still fresh. Yeah, it's still fresh. I mean, it's worth seeing. It's just not in if, if I'm doing my top 10, it's not being in my top 10. Although it did get nominated for several Critics' Choice Association documentary nominations, and I do vote on those things. And um, uh, the awards are coming up November 14th, so we shall see. Carl, the uh, Gotham Awards were uh, announced yesterday, the nominations, and a movie you and I championed because it's got a St. Louis connection, Test Pattern, was nominated for several Gotham Awards. Really? Yeah, how about that? I'm happy and, about and, that. And uh, the, that woman, the the filmmaker, she was at SLIF last year, the St. Louis International Film Festival, which is coming up November 4th through the 21st. And uh, they just announced, this is breaking news, the Kurt Warner movie, American Underdog, is going to be shown at the Tivoli on November 8th with Kurt and Brenda Warner in attendance for a post-show Q&A. So yes. how about that? And it's yeah. also going to open with Procession, which is a movie about uh, uh, abused victims by priests in the Kansas City area. And uh, the filmmaker, Robert Green, he is a teacher at Mizzou. And he is going to be present along with the victims. And so you're going to hear more about that from me in uh, future. Next week, we're going to have the Swift guys on, Carl. Yay. So, so we'll, we'll do more of that. What else is going on in St. Louis that we need to mention? Well, I do, I do want to mention something that came up while we were doing this. Peter Scolari, TV actor mostly from Bosom Buddies. He was Tom Hanks best friend in bosom buddies and he was on girls more recently and he was also on new heart for a long time passed away at the age of 66 oh my goodness well he was supposed to be the lead in a funny thing happened on the way to the farm at the muni but he had to cancel remember right yes and jeffrey Schechter had to come in and learn the part in uh three on days. stage yes on, yeah two he, days the first day he did it with book on stage and then by the end of the week, he had the whole roll down pat. It was it was great to see. I I was very impressed that time. Uh, and since we are a movie podcast, we should probably talk about uh, people are jumping to conclusions about this whole Alec Baldwin prop gun thing. And we don't know anything yet. It's just and no details have come out. It's too soon. Uh, but they're they're comparing it to the. uh the old Voyagers actor and they're comparing it to the Brandon Lee case and guns that, are always dangerous, even if they're prop guns. The actor has nothing to do with setting up the props. It's the prop and, master. Right. Right. And uh, they're supposed to be union people and they're not supposed to be live ammunition. And so we don't know what happened, but I'm appalled by the headlines blaming Alec Baldwin. He was just the actor using the gun. He had no way of knowing what was going to happen. Well, what happened? What, 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 there's a tweet that there's always a tweet, Lynn. There's a tweet from 2017 where Alec Baldwin was uh, talking about uh, a police shooting gone wrong. And the, all Alec wrote, wrote was, I wonder how it is to accidentally kill someone. And so well, that's just stupid because people say things all the time and then come up. I mean, there's no reason. Um, it's an accident. It's a tragic accident. The cinematographer was killed. The director was injured. I mean, it's just one of those things. People don't understand. We the whole don't know of, what has happened yet. I'm sure the entire story will come out. Well, right, because they investigated and the union apparently has made a statement that it was, uh, yeah, the, the union that takes care of all that has made a statement and they are investigating and Alec Baldwin is cooperating fully. He has given a statement out. 
But to me, the headlines uh, made him sound like he was guilty. And it was like, what? This is just an accident. Of course, with high profile people, it was on the set of a Western film called Rust, which Baldwin not only was starring in, but was a producer on. Not yeah, to be he, confused. He's, well, he's he's also playing a former gunfighter whose grandson is accused of accidentally killing someone. So it just everything about it is just. Well, just weird. like the whole crow thing with Brandon Lee. Right. You know, it's a very tragic accident. Uh, Carl, we have talked many times about how uh, the movies are streaming now so fast after they come out with the theatrical release. Titan, the big hit from Khan. The, and about having Dear, sex with cars? Yeah, and Dear Evan Hansen are already on video on demand. Wow. Yeah, and introducing Selma Blair is a documentary. It is now available on demand. I have it yet seen it i need to see it i didn't have time i spent my time watching a dune again but i wanted to uh i wanted to see if that was gonna help and just to see what it was on the small screen you know so if i I watch dune again i'm gonna have the i'm gonna have the captions on so i can understand what they're talking about but i think i think i do know so we have a lot going on the next couple weeks And uh, we we, have uh, we have like four more movies for next week. Well, we told Ron we would mention it. So keep live alive. STL dot org is the website for keep live alive alive St. Louis. And you can find me. Oh, hockey starts this weekend. I will be doing a video and tweet tomorrow about my horn test at underscore Carl the intern Instagram and Twitter. And you can hear me on the Mark Cox Morning Show Monday through Friday from 5 to 9. And you can hear me on the uh, Great Outdoors and Second Amendment Show on KMOX and 97.1 on the weekends. And you can hear me on the Maxim Movie Podcast. And you can hear me on this podcast right here. Where can we find you, Lynn? Well, I'm on KTRS. Miller Furniture presents Lynn Venhouse Goes to the Movies every Thursday after the 10 p.m. news. I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I have a feature on Paul Cook, our buddy, the Yay. radio guy whose life and work is, is really amazing. If you just know him from radio, you would be amazed by his life story. And uh, so that is online at the Times newspaper at timesnewspapers.com. And it was in the, the Webster Kirkwood Times last week for print. And then uh, where else? We have our uh, my website, poplifestl.com. Alex McPherson did the review for Mass, and I did all the other ones. They're there. And then, Carl, you and I are every weekend here, and we try to get local uh, people to talk about what's happening. Um, and uh, we will just keep doing that for as long as we can. Right. So I'm glad to see. So are you just a regular now on with Mark? I am every day. I'm now there Monday through Friday, five to nine. I get there at quarter to four every morning. And then uh-huh. come that's home why and take you don't like when I text you past 10 p.m. Yeah. She, she wonders, why haven't you responded to me? Well, it's because I am asleep already. Well, no, I know that now. I know that now. So that uh, what do you think of the trailer for being the Ricardos? Everybody's talking uh, about I didn't, it. I'm trying not to see it. I, I don't want to have I don't want to have an opinion on it yet. If I happen to fall upon it, I'm not going to seek it out. I'm going to just let it fall on me naturally. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I just say give Nicole Kidman a chance. It's Eric Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. And let the uh, before people make judgments, watch it see it right didn't be making judgments before a movie comes out also uh, we want to give a shout out to our friend frankie cambaletta whose haunted garage horror film festival is this weekend at the gaslight theater friday night they have some uh horror film experts followed by the movie one must fall and then saturday is all day from 10 30 a.m it's the uh, chosen films uh, that are going to be up for prizes and the awards will be presented at 8 45 p.m and our friend max boise is one of the judges yay max so that's what's going on with me 
Carl, you take care, stay safe. Uh, I hope you, I trust that Maggie had a wonderful 18th birthday. She did. And I'm going to have a wonderful birthday this weekend too. <gasps> oh, oh man, I forgot. I'm sorry. That No, that's okay. I am not a child. I don't need to be told about birthdays. Have a good <laughs> weekend, everybody. Yeah, stay safe. Get outside and enjoy it. And get inside and watch all the films we told you about. <laughs> Bye-bye.